You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Casey. Good morning, church. Hope all of you are filled with pancakes, and in about 17 minutes, they will overcome you with a sense of uh, sleep, sleepiness, so I hope you can resist. Uh, let's, let's pray together as we go to God's Word. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your kindness and faithfulness to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus, and that we have the Bible, the scriptures that bear witness to him. We long to encounter the living, reigning Lord Jesus today. Um, this is not a dead word. It is a living word. Jesus is meeting us even now. And we pray that we would encounter him today through the power of the Spirit. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us at all, I know some of you are, are just visiting today. We've been looking together at the Gospel of John, and we're calling this series Come and See because that's a phrase that John uses throughout this book. It's clear that John is wanting every person who reads this book or hears it to feel like they're being invited, uh, being invited by God into something. And what we've been saying every week in a different way is that God by encountering and meeting this person, Jesus, God is inviting us into a deeper experience of his goodness, his love, his mercy. And not only that, he's also calling us to become an invitational people, that we would be people, um, even in in the mall in West Richmond, who are inviting others to, to come and experience the same goodness and mercy that we've experienced through Christ. So the invitation that we're gonna be hearing about today is uh, this invitation of Jesus into healing or you could say an invitation to wholeness. Any of you kids ever see um, the old original 1939 version of the Wizard of Oz movie? Any, any of y'all ever seen that? Um, I watched it a number of times when I was a kid, and I know it's not supposed to be a horror movie, but um, I was absolutely terrified of the flying monkeys as a child. Anybody remember the flying monkeys? Um, I actually just watched that scene this morning on YouTube just to see if it was, and it was just as horrible. Uh, <laughs> um, So these monkeys, you know, they have these beady eyes and these sharp teeth and this menacing look and they fly around and attack people. And there's this one scene um, in which the the Wicked Witch sicks them on uh, Dorothy and her crew. And they carry Dorothy and her little dog away. But it's really awful what they do to the scarecrow because they swoop down on the scarecrow and they begin to tear him apart. Uh, dismember him, you know, limb from limb, tear his legs off. They reach into his chest and pull out the straw. This was chest collapse. I mean, he's lying there in a heap. This is the stuff of nightmares. And what I, the reason I bring that up, and I had that image in my mind as I was writing the sermon, because the invitation that Jesus is extending to us in this text is right there in verse six. You can see it. Jesus says, do you want to get well? But I think what we're going to see today is that Jesus is really offering more than just healing from a sickness. What he's offering to this man and what he's offering to all of us is is wholeness, to be put back together. In fact, the old King James, which is not always the most accurate, but often the most poetic translation of the Bible, um, the question Jesus asks in verse six is, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? So that's the offer this morning. That's the invitation, is that Jesus is offering people Um, who've been kind of beat up, ripped apart, torn to pieces, 
who in some ways have lost any hope for change, that, that Jesus is offering people like that, people like us, the opportunity to be made whole. So let's look at this uh, story through three simple frames. The first is we're going to look at why, why, why none of us is okay, why, why we're not well. Uh, a second, we're going to look at how we try to get well. And then third, we're going to look at how Jesus makes us well. So first, let's look at um, why we're not well. Why is this man not well? Obviously, um, he's not physically well. Um, John actually calls him an invalid. Um, he's disabled. Most likely, he's a paraplegic. And, you know, it's never, it's always a significant challenge to be a paraplegic in any point in history. But you could probably imagine just how challenging it would be to be a person of a severe disability and a paraplegic in first century society when there's no allowments for anyone um, who's in that kind of state. So obviously he couldn't get around um, physically, no wheelchairs, no accessibility for a person like this. It's likely that he would have sort of dragged himself around on his elbows and using his hands. So it's likely his arms and hands are, are disfigured. Um, his body is likely disfigured in some ways. He's probably covered in sores and scars. Um, people who are paraplegics often have really poor uh, bladder and bowel control. And so it's likely he is, he's quite literally um, a, a mess, you know, covered in filth. So physically, he's very unwell, but also in any, many other ways. Vocationally, it, this meant that he would not be able to contribute in any way meaningfully to society. He was likely a, a beggar. He was homeless. Um, he socially was, was considered, disabled people were considered accursed. He was literally invalid. That's where invalid comes from. He was an invalid person, lacking worth, lacking dignity, considered to be a curse, cut off from society. He says it himself. You can see he says it himself in uh, verse seven, I have no one to help me. He's friendless, he's alone. Uh, spiritually, uh, disabled people like this were considered unclean, which meant they didn't have a place in the religious life of Israel. They were not allowed into the temple. He was not given atonement for his sins. And so quite literally, he was cut off from even the person of God himself. And so that's, you can, you can see that this, this man is experiencing a, a comprehensive disability in the whole of his life. And it says that he's experienced this for 38 years, nearly four decades of disability, brokenness, and social and spiritual isolation. And you can imagine that that would do a lot to a person's soul, right? A lot to their, their spirit. Um, we get a little bit of hint of that in verse 14, when Jesus tells the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. At first, that sounds a little like Jesus is saying that somehow his disability is tied to his sin. We know that's not what Jesus believes because in chapter nine of John, someone specifically asks him, is there a link between sin and disability? And Jesus dismisses that, that he says, no. I think what Jesus is probably getting at is that this man's soul is as sick as his body, right? I mean, you go through something like that, you go through that degree of like cruelty and shame and brokenness for 38 years, who knows what anger, bitterness, envy, jealousy, rage, despair, hopelessness is all just kind of swimming around in his soul. And so what I want you guys to see is that, yes, this is a story of healing, but it's far more than just a story of physical healing. Do you see that? This man is broken in every way a person can be broken. He's broken not just physically, he's broken emotionally and, psych and psychologically. He's broken 
um, interpersonally and relationally. He's broken socially and spiritually. In every way, a man is broken. This man is broken, and Jesus seeks to make him whole. And, and, and I, I really do believe that John, the writer, is inviting to see ourselves in this man because there is not a person in this room who is fully whole. Scripture says that God made us as humans to be whole. Um, he made us for a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other and a perfect relationship with even creation in our own bodies and our own souls and our own work. That's what the Bible calls shalom. That's a word we love around here at third. It means um, flourishing, wellness, wholeness. That's what God made you to experience, the fullness of shalom. But like those wicked monkeys sweeping in to tear that scarecrow apart, evil and sin has swept into the world to pick us to pieces. And evil and sin has brought ravaging effects on the, the world and has torn apart the shalom and has torn apart the wholeness that each of us were meant to experience. And so you probably, I mean, most of you can't relate to this guy on a physical level, but I know for certain that there is not a single person in this room who is experiencing the fullness of shalom. None of us in here is whole. All of us in some ways is experiencing the fact that we're not well. And it could be for you, it could be a physical thing. It could be something you've been battling for years. It could be an emotional thing that you're battling because of a trauma that happened to you when you were younger and you're just continuing to deal with it as an adult. Um, it could be something that's happening relationally. It could be something that's happening in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids. Uh, it could be something um, spiritually. It could be a sin you're battling, an addiction. It could be that you just are racked with guilt. You feel separated from God. It could be, it could, it could be something psychologically where you are just dealing with a, a, a mental illness. But in some way, all of us have been picked apart by evil that has swooped into this world and none of us are the full, whole person that God made us to be. And I know this because I'm your pastor. And I've been one of your pastors for over 18 years. And I've heard so many of your stories. I've been privileged to hear so many of your stories. And I know that, and those of you visiting today might look around this room and you'd be like, wow, this is a pretty like put together group of people. But I just want to encourage you to, I just, I need you to know that we're not. And that it, there are so many stories represented in this room that would really break your heart. And there are so many burdens that people are carrying in this room that would bring you to your knees. That not a single one of us has gone untouched by the ravaging effects of sin and evil in this world. And not a single one of us is whole. All of us, to some degree, are not well. And this story is inviting us to name that truth about ourselves. Because the only way we'll ever get well is if we have the capacity to name it, to name the place where we're broken. Okay? That's the first thing we see, why we're not well. Let's then look at how we try to get ourselves well. Okay, how we try to get well. The, this, this pool is a really interesting um, aspect of this story. If you have your Bibles, um, you might notice in the text that most modern translations, it's verse four is missing in the text, if you notice that. Um, and you might even have a little footnote. My Bible has a little footnote at the bottom that um, 
that has an explanation there. The reason is because um, at some point, the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John didn't include um, verse four, but at some point, an, a later editor decided to include the legend that surrounded this pool. But modern interpreters know that that was a later edition, and so they put it down into a footnote. But you'll see, if you have it there in your Bible, that the footnote is, is that the legend of this pool was, it's called Bethesda, it's from Maryland, stole that, clearly. Um, but the legend was, is that every so often, an angel would come down, and the angel would stir up the waters in the pool and give the waters of the pool these healing properties. And then the first person to jump in would get healed, would get better. Um, and this had become such a, a, a powerful myth in this region that it says that disabled people were congregated all around the pool waiting for this angel to come to stir up the healing waters. Well, clearly this man had put all of his hopes in this pool, right? It, for 38 years, he'd been waiting at this pool and this is, had become for him his only source of hope for healing. In fact, when Jesus asked him in verse six, do you want to get well? Instead of answering him like yes or no, you'll see he just goes on this explanation about how difficult it's been for him to get into the pool because everybody cuts in front of him. So his, all of his hope for restoration and healing are bound up in this myth, this myth of this healing pool. And I think that this is a subtle but very powerful commentary on what we broken humans do to try to get well. What I think this says to us is that often instead of looking to God, instead of looking to our creator for the healing and the wholeness that we need, we often to look to something in the created order, something in the world to give us relief, to give us wholeness, to give us the restoration that we're looking for. The man said, if only I could get into the pool, then I'd be well. And I think our lives are full of things like that, full of mythic pools, full of false healing waters, full of something we believe, if I could just get in there, if I could just get that or do that or be that, then I'll be okay. I think a very powerful um, illustration of this, some of you may have heard of um, a, a wonderful writer named Caroline Knapp. She's, she's, um, she died a few years ago, but she wrote a couple of very powerful memoirs. She wrote one about her alcoholism. She wrote another one about her anorexia. Um, but the book that she wrote about her alcohol addiction is called Drinking, um, A Love Story, and it's about her 20-year battle with alcoholism. And this is what she writes in this book. She writes, um, I lived by the words, if only. And I continued to do so for a decade. In my 20s, the objects of desire were good jobs and thin thighs. If only I could write for a living, I'd be happy. If only I were five or 10 pounds thinner, my life would be different. In my 30s, the focus shifted to men. If only I had a relationship, I thought. Then, months after meeting my boyfriend, if only he were different. <laughs> if only, if only. I think that she is very self-aware and very perceptive. Um, that we all just carry around something that we even subconsciously say to ourselves, if only that, then I'd be well. And I want to challenge you to think about what, what, what is that for you? Um, is it, a, is it a, a person or a desire for a relationship or is it approval from um, parents or approval from, from a, a supervisor? Is it success? Is it 
a desire for some political or social outcome? Is it something related to your physical appearance or your health? Is it just a better house or a better car or a better vacation? Or is it, I think for many of us, some mythical idea of what our life and our family should be? But what are your if-onlys? What in the created order do you tend to look to for relief, for healing, for restoration? And here's the bad news, y'all. There's nothing in the pool. There's no healing waters. There's no angel that's coming. The pool won't heal you. It'll leave you just as broken as you were before. There's nobody who, who is more honest and raw about this than one of my favorite writers, Henry Nouwen. I know this is kind of a lengthy quote, but I think it's a very powerful quote and important for all of us. And this is what he says. He says, aren't you, like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope maybe this book or idea, or course, trip, job, country, or relationship will fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. Then he says this, you know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. So so these first two points are bad news, okay? So we're not well, we know we're not well. And so we tend to look to something in the created order to make us well. And instead of making us well, it leads us to spiritual death. This is not good news. So what do we do? Well, the answer that John offers in this story is that we meet and encounter Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus makes us well. Let's just look at that. Notice a few things that Jesus does. First of all, um, Jesus seeks this man. Did you notice that the man doesn't seek Jesus? He doesn't even ask. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus goes after him. Jesus seeks him out. Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed. So that's the first striking thing that we notice. Jesus is revealing to us a God who seeks out his people. A God who pursues people who need to be found. This is the God of the whole Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll see that God is a pursuing, seeking God. The first question that God asks Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, after they turn away from him, is where are you? I'm looking for you. God is always looking, seeking, going after his people. And we see that here in Jesus that I love one poet calls God the hound of heaven, hunting, pursuing, chasing down people who often don't even know they need to be found. I know that many of you in your own stories can look back on your life and see the ways that God showed up for you. God found you. Jesus sought you. The spirit drew you, even when you weren't looking for him. And I want you to hear that this morning, that if you're here and you are feeling really far from God and separated from him, God's not sitting around waiting for you to pull your life together and come back to him. God's already coming after you. The fact that you're here this morning, listening to this message, listening to this story is a sign that you are being sought by the seeking God. That's the first thing that we see is that Jesus seeks him. The second thing Jesus does to this man is he he rouses him. He asks him this question, do you want to get well? Well, that seems like a dumb question, doesn't it? Of course he wants to get well, Jesus, duh. 
But maybe not. Maybe that's not a dumb question. Because this man has been broken and sick for so long that he's probably lost hope that he'll ever be made well, right? After nearly four decades of pain and bitterness and isolation, there's a really good chance that he's not even looking for healing anymore, right? He's, he's probably stopped entertaining the possibility that his life could get any better. And this is often what happens when people get really stuck. They get so, their identity gets so wrapped up in their, their brokenness that they actually lose the will to change. They lose the desire to have, or they, they lose their imagination for anything new or different about their life. And I imagine that's much like what's happened to this man. And it's almost like Jesus with this question is doing, um, in, in therapeutic terms, he's almost doing an intervention saying, do you want this? Do you want to get well? Can you envision something different for your life? Can you see a new scenario in which this is no longer your situation? He's firing his imagination. That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's opening his, his mind to the possibility of a new life. And I do think that some of us here need that. Some of you are in a situation in which you've been dealing with something for so long and you've been managing this place of struggle in your life for so many years and you've been hitting so many disappointments and, and, and hitting so many walls that you've lost hope that anything could be any different. You've lost your imagination that God could do something different for your life. I was talking to a guy a few months ago and he was talking about his marriage and he was saying that he and his wife have, have, been, so lo- have been locked in conflict for so long that he's just given up hope that anything will ever change. And so they've just decided that they're just gonna kind of bear it through the next few years. And then just when their kids graduate from high school, they'll just split. But, and this is what often happens when we feel trapped and stuck in a situation is that we become kind of so um, numb and desperate and hopeless that we can't see any kind of better situation than the one that we're currently in. And so if that's you, I want you to know that Jesus is asking you, do you want to be well? Can you imagine a new life? Do you want something different? Because no matter who you are or what you've gone through or what you're facing or how long you've been living with something, the message of this story is that all things are possible in Christ. Newness is possible. Healing is possible. Wholeness is possible. There is no area of sickness that Jesus cannot heal. There's no place of darkness that he can't get to. There's no... There's no history of of brokenness that he cannot redeem. There's nothing. That's the message of this text, that God yearns to restore you to to wholeness. But he's asking you, do you want this? Do you have an imagination for something new? So he seeks him, he rouses him, and then finally Jesus heals him. And this is a great part of the story because the man ignores Jesus' question. He offers this lame explanation, and then Jesus just says get up. And he's cured. And the man gets up. Jesus is saying to him, look, man, there's nothing for you in the pool. I'm, I'm the pool. I'm the angel who's come down. I'm the healing waters. There's nothing for you there. I am the one that you've been looking for. Get up, be made whole again. And, and it, y'all, this is so powerful because, you know, when the man gets up, This is not like you getting up off the floor after your leg falls asleep, right? This guy's been in a gnarled heap for for 38 years. His muscles have atrophied, his bones have twisted, his skin has 
warped. His body is shrunken and shriveled. And so when Jesus says, get up, he actually speaks a recreative, life-giving word over this man so that his body actually, be, it, it's, it's, it's very mysterious. Somehow his body regenerates. Like his, his bones are, are, are restored and his muscles revive and his tendons reweave. And the man, it's, it's, like a, it's almost like a Genesis 1 moment in which the creator God, the God in the flesh, the creator God standing in human form looks over a messy and chaotic creation and says, let there be life. And he speaks life and there's life. He speaks wholeness and there's wholeness. Jesus speaks a word and it's true. This is the power of the, the name of Jesus that is available to you, that he can speak this kind of word of wholeness over you. And here's what I want you to know, that Jesus heals this man um, on the Sabbath, as he often does, because he loves to pick fights with Pharisees. And it immediately thrusts him into a controversy with the religious leaders. You see that? By the end of this story, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to come up with a plan to get rid of Jesus. And that's the pattern throughout the book of John, is that the more Jesus heals, um, the more he puts himself at risk. That with each healing and each act of compassion and each person that he makes whole, Jesus increasingly puts himself in the crosshairs of evil until ultimately he finds himself on trial and nailed to a cross. So the pattern of Jesus's life is that he puts himself in our own place of sickness. In fact, by the end of the story, in some ways, Jesus has taken the place of this man. He's become the disfigured one. He's become the friendless one. He's become the one who's been shut out of community and shut out even of the religious life of Israel, shut off from God himself. And this is where we see the gospel at work here, that Jesus's healing power is very costly to him. That Jesus knows that the only way he can put us back together is if he himself is torn apart. And the only way he can shield us from the shattering effects of evil is if he himself is shattered in our place. And this is how much God loves you. This is how much God yearns to make you whole is that he would come among us in the person of Christ and suffer for us and be ripped apart to make us whole. This is how much God yearns to heal you and to make you right again. So here's my final question to you. What should we do in response to this beautiful story? Well, I wanna just give you a little ABC here, just like old school VBS, right? ABC, admit, believe, commit, okay? The first is we've got to admit our need. Do you want to get well? If your answer to that question is yes, then it implies that you are ready to name some area in your life in which you are sick, right? There's no use. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, what brings you in here today? And you say, I just wanted to say hi. You know, I just love doctor's offices. <laughs> that would be so silly, right? Because a doctor can only do something for you if you are able to name your need. And Jesus often says things like that. He says, I've not come for the healthy people. I've come for the sick people. I've not come for those who are well. I've come for those who are sick. And in fact, if you can't name anything in your life that is broken or sick, then Jesus can't do anything for you. The church can't do anything for you. The church is not a performance hall where good people come to perform and show their goodness, the church is a, is a hospital where sick people come to get well. And this is, 
what Jesus needs. This is how you begin a journey with Jesus. Notice this man does nothing in the story but to admit to Jesus that he's sick and that his plan isn't working. And that's how faith begins. It just simply begins with admission of need. Jesus, um, I, this part of my life is not well and my plan isn't working and I need your help. That's all that faith is. That's how it begins. My plan's not working. I need help. So admit. Second, believe. Notice that Jesus says to this man, get up, and he believes him. He, I mean, he could have just stayed there and thought Jesus was crazy, I guess, but he believes him. And he takes up his mat and he stands up. And in that moment, uh, he is healed. And so he, faith is not just believing in Jesus, it's acting, using your body to act on Jesus's word. There's a, a famous story, though maybe a legend about Alexander the Great, um, in which his horse ran away and a young private in his army captured his horse and brought it back to him. And Alexander the Great took the horse and he looked at this young private and he said, thank you, captain. He promoted him with just a word. And what's amazing though, is that the young man uh, believed him. And so he turned around and he went to the quartermaster and he requested a captain's uniform and put it on. And then he went into the officer's hall and he chose a bunk. And then he went into the officer's mess hall and he sat down and he ate a meal. He believed that if Alexander said it, then it was true. And therefore he was gonna act on Alexander's word. And I just think that's a beautiful example of what faith is. That faith is not just believing that what Jesus says is true, but it's actually acting on it, believing that his word is truth. And so if Jesus Christ says you are forgiven, then that means, faith means no longer living as if you're guilty and moping around in insecurity and weighed down by the burden of sin. It means actually believing that you are forgiven. You know, if Jesus Christ says you're valuable, then to act in faith means to no longer live in shame and worthlessness, but actually to live as if you have value because Jesus said it and it's now true. If Jesus says you're provided for, acting in faith means to live as if you are provided for and no longer live racked by worry and fear, <laughs> to actually act in faith. I have had to do this my, uh, much of my Christian life with my own battles with depression. There are many days when I don't feel hopeful, but to believe in faith, to believe the word of Jesus in faith means to believe that there is actually real hope and purpose for my life. And that even if I don't feel that, to believe in faith means to act as if it's true because Jesus has said there is hope and therefore his word is truth. So believing is acting. It's not just believing, but actually acting and responding to the word of Christ. So finally, um, the final thing I think we can do is see, commit. That Jesus returns to the man and he says, man, stop sinning, verse 14. You are a new man, you're whole. You don't need the pool anymore. You don't need your mythic waters anymore. So stop turning to those things and live true as my follower. Don't keep going back there. You're no longer stuck. You're not a victim. You don't have to complain and blame other people. Live as the new person you are. Live as my disciple and follow me. So once Jesus has touched your life and you know that Jesus is the only one who can make you whole, your calling is to stay true to him, to no longer go back to those false hopes, to don't keep returning to those if onlys, but to stay true to Jesus to turn away from your false hopes and to put your trust, your full trust in him every day, turning away from self-pity and discouragement and despair every day, admitting, believing, repenting, turning to Jesus as the only one who can truly make us well.
Okay, so here's the invitation. It's coming to each of you. Jesus is asking it. Do you want to get well? Wilt thou be made whole? He's inviting you in. So let's pray. You know, I feel like this, I just want you to keep your eyes closed. This is a story that is very physical. Um, Jesus says, you want to be well? Get up. And um, I'm not going to ask you to get up, but I do. <laughs> if there is something in your life that where you have kind of lost hope for change and you are longing uh, to be made well, some part of your life where your plan is not working, and you need to be made whole. Everyone's eyes are closed. I just want you to invite you to just raise your hand. Just as a sign of faith, a sign of your taking that step of faith towards Jesus. I wanna pray for you. Father, you see these people, these saints, who are longing to be whole, longing to be made well. They're like this man. They're admitting that they're sick and that they need help and that their plan is not working. And we invite your spirit to come and touch them. We invite them to hear the word of Jesus saying, get up. My grace is flooding into your life. I am the pool that you've been looking for. Come to me and be made well. And God, for all of us, help us to be those who not only look to Jesus to be made whole ourselves, but who invite others to find their wholeness in him. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.